0: And the Psalms are, are a great comfort and encouragement for those uh, just seeking to draw close to the Lord. Here's David who, and others who wrote Psalms that uh, poured out their hearts from every situation and uh, from every uh, possible emotion. And uh, the Psalms are rich with encouragement and comfort. Prophecy as well that we're going to see today in Psalm 2. And I'm going to read through it and then we'll... Uh, See if we can't uh, um, just see what the Lord has for us in all that. So Psalm 2. Why do the nations rage and the people plot a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us. Well, he who sits in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall hold them in derision. And he shall speak to them in his wrath and distress them in his deep displeasure. And yet I have set my king on my holy hill of Zion, and I will declare the decree the Lord has said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will give you the nations for your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall dash dash them into pieces like a potter's vessel. Now therefore be wise, O kings. Be instructed, you judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way when his wrath is kindled but a little. Blessed are all those who put their trust in him. Amen. Um, So, beginning in verse 1, why do the nations rage? And I guess uh, this is rather obvious these days what we're dealing with because we're looking at the world right now and it's raging. Um, The word nations means goim, the Gentile nations, mentioned 175 times in the Psalms. The word rage means rage, tumult, um, to raise a fuss but with evil intent. And uh, we'll see what's going on with that. But does it sound like a culture or society near you, especially in the last, what, three years or so. Um, it doesn't seem to make sense, you know, if they think it through. They want freedom, uh, but and they promise freedom, but actually they're, they're bringing upon themselves slavery to their own sin, bringing upon themselves um, slavery to their own desires, and freedom is then lost, right? Three years ago I was surprised when we got a conservative in office, and um, yet, what was amazing was the response to it. I mean, that showed me more than, you know, anything that may have been about the guy. Uh, what was amazing to me is how much rage, right? I mean, did anybody see that? You know, the, the amazing rage that comes from uh, just having a guy get elected. I mean, was there that much rage when any of the previous guys got elected? I don't know. Maybe not as publicly. Maybe it's different. Uh, it just seemed disproportionate disproportionate proportionate, uh, you know, across the media, across the world, even before he got sworn in. So clearly somebody, somebody's plans got disrupted, right? And so um, we're in the last days. We know that. We're going to talk about that. But there's more to global socialism than monetary ideology. It's spiritual. Um, social justice or justice for the people. Um, I think Mary's going to be doing a two-minute uh, warning, or where she—I think she's actually going to be up on Q90, and she's going to be talking about the Church of Laodicea, giving the uh, definition of that word. Laodiceans, justice for the people is what that means, and it's that lukewarm church that, uh, that is, seems to fit the time period that we're in of um, of uh, history right now, where the church is at that point being compromised and uh, ideologies of the world creeping into the church. Um, churches are scolded because they don't back social or political organizations that have nothing to do with the gospel. Organizations that have something to do with jo- you know, social justice. But the truth is, um, it's got nothing to do with the gospel. And uh, yet uh, they're being scolded and people are leaving and people are trying to shame the church. Um, it's the last bastion of truth, really, and uh, that's why they're after it. Globalism, um, they're looking for um, global unification of religions. We all see that. Um, Mary's done updates on that, and the Pope, and recently basically saying, hey, if you're Muslim, go to a mosque. You, know, you don't need to be converted. Uh, right on down to uh, any lifestyle, just go find a church, the Pope says, that you're, that you're comfortable in. That's, that's the answer for you. Um, completely neglecting preaching the gospel and repentance, and uh, so globalism for the preservation of the earth from this mythical climate change, you know uh, I think that that is also part of the nation 's raging calls for a leader to bring all this home before it 's too late we 've got to save this world how many years did they give us twelve years or something with uh, the the um, uh, climate change folks are saying we got 12 years or, or we're done, something like that, so we need a leader, we need somebody to get this done. So there's a global government ready for this, you know, God of this world to step in, lead them to peace and safety and free flu shots for everybody. Uh, <laughs> we're in the last days, right? We see the culmination of so many prophecies. Israel is at the center of attention. That was prophesied back in 1948, May 14th things took a turn, and you know, prior to that, go back to 1890s and the, the turn of the century, 1900, we were riding horses. Well, now we're flying around, and now we're flying to the moon. Things have changed in the past 100 years, the 120 years, that uh, prior to that, 6,000 years from creation, uh, we were riding horses, and things were, were a whole different thing. So things are happening. We are in the last days Seen the culmination of so many prophecies. Ezekiel 38 and 39 are in position. Considering Iran and half of Iraq used to be called Persia, uh, what, 100, not even 80 years ago? And now here they are, uh, nations that are coming against Israel uh, with hot fire. And um, now it was uh, amazing to see what happened a few weeks ago with this guy taking things out, and Netanyahu saying plainly, this changes things. So we're buying time, maybe here in this situation, I don't know. But truth is, at some point, we know, according to Ezekiel 38, 39, every nation, the face of every nation, will be against Israel. Right now, we're their greatest friend, and they maybe have another one or two. But eventually, something's going to happen here, that's going to change, and something's going to uh, Make it so that either we're we're unable to do anything about it or we've got somebody or some policies in place that um, are going to make us so that our face is also against Israel. You know, God forbid and let every one of us individually bless Israel because truth of it is, uh, those that bless him, he will bless. Whether our nation as a whole does or not, we still have that chance to do that in our own hearts, right? Um, You know, the curtain's getting pulled back. Uh, we see the world choosing sides, and now we can speculate where this is going to go from here in our country. But one thing for sure is never before, you know, has the entire world been so stirred up, and uh, to this kind of collective and organized rage, really. really? About uh, you think of some of the examples. Um, you know, with today's technology, nearly nearly everyone is able to join together in protest or in support of some ideology or some leader. The old saying, the natives are getting restless is nothing compared to these days, right? So examples today, Arab Spring, we saw that, um, Antifa and feminists march on Washington. And notice how they looked up, you would want to talk about rage. I mean, you saw it, uh, just, the, just the rage and anger was you, the face of it. Um, a little girl from Sweden, wherever that is getting up in front of the U.N., shaming every nation, saying you ought to be ashamed, and the rage on our face and in everything that uh, the, those that are trying to uh, bring about um, a global government that can fix climate change. But examples, uh, you know, look up how they spoke against Mike Pence just for his faith. I don't think he even said anything. He had a policy in place, and they were already all over his case. Rage. Why do the nations Rage. Muslims and Hindus, persecution and rage against Christians. Burning churches, slaughtering defenseless men and women and children. Uh, rage against believers in the West, right now in our country, and also around the world, uh, just for declaring abortion a murder. And just for declaring homosexuality as sin or perversion. There's rage. You know, there's churches that are going to... They already are being threatened. There's businesses that are being boycotted and uh, that are being, you know destroyed because of not complying with this, what they would call tolerance, when in fact it's really just in your face, you need to accept us and, you know, congratulate us for this sin. And that's not the Lord, that we cannot do. So we are more than just a buzzkill. They know the word of God condemns sin, and here we are bearing the word, right, preaching it and showing it with our lives. But they're not willing to bow the knee to Christ for salvation, And so, just the first sentence, why do the nations rage? Um, And the people plot a vain thing. Let's look at prophecy in Psalm 2. Uh, Notice it um, covers all levels of society. So who are they, and what are they doing? Well, first of all, it's the people. The word there is community, even gathering, so community gatherings. Grassroots or street level. And what are they doing? They, imo- they imagine or plot. And that word means basically to moan, to growl, to groan, to muse. If you don't know what muse means, the opposite is to amuse. In other words, don't think about anything. You go to the amusement park, so you don't have to think about anything except keeping your wallet. And um, uh, so it's uh, meditate, to devise. That's what the grassroots, the people. And what is it that they're looking for? They're looking for a, a vain thing. Uh, it's an empty, meaningless, no purpose is vain. So it's rage for the sake of rage. I mean, if, they're not, if there's no meaning to this, it, it's rage for the sake of rage, rebellion for the sake of rebellion. And then there's the kings. We have the people. We now have the kings in society. These would be your political leaders and your heads of states. And what are they doing? Well, they set themselves. They, they, uh, we were talking about that Wednesday night where the word there means to Uh, where it talks about blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners. That word stand, same thing. You know, they set themselves, they take a stand, they position themselves. They're not going to be moved from that spot. And so they're, they're putting themselves in that position in front of all the people against the Lord and against his anointed. They're in and part of and helping out this rage. Do we see that today? In, the, in the, not only in just our media, but around, around the world, where an imam can sit in a, in a mosque and he can enrage his group and send them out to do whatever they are going to do. It happens. And, um, now, the rulers, people, kings, now rulers, when you look at that, this is the oligarchy, okay, if you will. If you don't know what that word means, basically it's the money guys, it's the powers behind the throne, so to speak. It's the ones, maybe we know, maybe we don't, we can think of your. Obvious, George Soros and maybe Paulson, some of the big money guys, but there's more money guys than that that we don't know their names. Nor do we care, um, necessarily. Why? Why would we need to know what the conspiracy is? The conspiracy is right here. And that theorys it's not a theory, it's, it's well known uh, from the scriptures what this conspiracy is. So the, what are they doing? Well, they're counseling together. Uh, was it the Club of Rome or the, the uh, G8 or G20 well, nowadays where the, where the big guys get together and decide what they're going to do with themselves, you know? It's, uh, it's truly vain and empty. These guys are raging, and what are they raging against? Against the Lord and against his anointed. Now, the word anointed is uh, Mashiach, and we're familiar with that. comes uh, the word from which we derive Messiah, and it can be read against the one true God, Jehovah, and his Christ. So, why do the nations rage and the people plot a vain thing and the kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord, Jehovah, and his anointed, the Christ? He is also called, in verse 6, my king, and in, he's also called my son, in verses 7 and verses 12. And so go to Mark 14 and let's see who he is talking about. So there's no doubt. Um, Mark 14, way at the end of the chapter, verses uh, 61 and 62. The Lord and his anointed, the Mashiach, the Christ. Now before um, the Sanhedrin, Jesus Toward the end of his ministry, and after the betrayal, he's brought before them, been arrested, and he's he's holding his tongue. You know, uh, they're bringing all these ac- accusations. And in verse sixty, even the high priest stood up in the midst and asked Jesus, saying, "Do you answer nothing? What is it these men testify against you?" But he kept silent and answered nothing. And now again, the high priest asked him, saying, "This, are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed?" And Jesus Kept silent? No. He's not keeping silent anymore. He's not going to lie. He's not going to allow something to be misunderstood. He says, I am. And it's one of the I am statements. And you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. This is big insight into Psalm 2. So, verse 3, back in Psalm uh, 2. The king set them... Uh, kings of the earth set themselves; the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against His anointed, saying, "Let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us." Now, that's a verse in and of itself, which is rather interesting. Uh, this is a prophecy. Uh, we're seeing this as something that is spoken about the Lord and about His Messiah yet future. And there's a number of prophecy or a number of places in in history and in Scripture where this is fulfilled. Uh, first of all, what are they saying? They're saying, break the bonds and cast off the cords. Well, what is this? That's restraint, right? They don't want to be restrained anymore. And we know from Second 2 Thessalonians 2.7 that the Holy Spirit is now who restrains the Antichrist, is what it says, until he's revealed. Well, and then the Lord's going to consume him with the breath of his mouth and destroy him with the brightness of his glory. But so for now, there is restraint, but there's also rage against it, Right? And that's what we're reading, and so this prophecy is certainly of a future time that ends with the nations being smashed into pieces like pottery, but this prophecy had fulfillment in the early church, and so if you want to turn to Acts 2, we're going to be in Acts 2, 3, and 4 for a little bit, and we'll be, uh, we only have maybe a half a dozen scriptures to flip to, so I'd rather you saw it with your own eyes than trust me to quote it exactly. So in Acts 2, the Holy Spirit uh, was given as promised by the prophet Joel in the book of Joel, and also David in Psalm 16. And then some 3,000 believed and were saved. Now in in 2, verse 42, um, with many other words he testified, this is Peter, exhorting them, saying, "...be saved from this perverse generation." And those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were saved and were added to them. Now notice this, and if you haven't marked this in your Bible, this is such a valuable scripture for for, uh, any church. And Dwight's mentioned this many times, but it bears repeating. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and the breaking of bread and in prayers. They continued in the four foundations of a healthy church. Anytime, anywhere, from then till now. Bible study, you know, in the Apostles' Doctrine. Fellowship, getting together. Remembering Jesus' death and burial like we did this morning. Resurrection through the breaking of bread and uh, drinking of wine. And in prayer. These are the four simple pillars, if you will, or foundations of any healthy church. It's all there needs to be. And then the rest will grow out of that and be born out of that. The fruit will come out of that. And then the Lord begins to add to those being saved. And to this day, if we continue in these four things, the Lord will continue to add who's being saved. So then after healing a man lame from birth, Peter begins to explain uh, that it's the name of Jesus who they gave up for Barabbas to be crucified, that that this man was healed. And he tells them it was to Israel first that Jesus came and turn them away from their iniquities. Well, this gets them arrested. And, you know, we pick it up at Acts 4 now, verse uh, 5 through 31. I just want to read it through because we're talking about a prophecy being fulfilled all the way from Psalm 2. And it's uh, being fulfilled right here in Acts 4, verse 5. So and it came to pass on the next day that their rulers and elders and scribes, as well as Annas, the high priest, and Caiaphas, John, and Alexander, as many as were the family of the high priest, were gathered together at Jerusalem. And they had set them in the midst, and they asked, by what power, by what name have you done this? Now, you see the scene here a little bit. He's, he's, Annas got all his family here. I mean, he's, he's here, he's wanting to look good. And so there's a little bit of uh, peer pressure and a uh, little bit of... Um, You know, strong-arming or black-balling going on, if if you will, you know, being in the room with these guys and he's got all his buddies. And they set them before him in the midst, and they asked, by what power or by what name have you done this? And Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we this day are judged for a good deed done to a helpless man, by what means has he been made well? Well, let it be known to you and to all, and to all the people of Israel, that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, you've got to clarify, because there were a lot of guys named Jesus back then, um, whom you crucified, uh, whom God raised from the dead, and by him this man stands here before you whole. This is the stone which the builders, uh, by you builders, which has been become the chief stone. It says, I'm sorry, this is the stone which... Uh, was rejected by you builders, which has become the chief cornerstone. So nor is there any salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given by man, by which we must be saved. And Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, they perceived that they were edu- uneducated and untrained men, praise the Lord for this verse, they marveled and they realized that they had been with Jesus And seeing the man who had been healed standing with them, they could say nothing against it. But when they had commanded them to go aside outside the council, they conferred amongst themselves. Man, this is fitting Psalm 2, something fierce. Saying, what shall we do with these men? For indeed, that a a notable miracle has been done through them is evident to all who dwell in Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But so that it spreads no further among the people, let us severely threaten them. That from now on they speak to no man in this name. And so they called them and commanded them not to speak at all, nor to teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said to them, Where is it right in the sight, or whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you? More than God will you judge that. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. And so they, when they had further threatened them, they let them go finding no way to punish them because the people were there, because of the people, since they all glorified God for, they had, for what had been done. For the man was over 40 years old, on whom this miracle of healing had been performed. Now notice in verse 23, And being let go, they went to their own companions and reported all the chief priests and the elders had said to them. So when they heard that, they raised their voice to God with one accord, saying, Lord, you are God who made heaven and earth, and the sea, and all that is in them. And who by the mouth of your servant David said, Why do the nations rage? Why do the people plot a vain thing? The kings of the earth took their counsel, took their stand, and the rulers gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. For truly against your holy servant Jesus, whom you ordained, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, were gathered together. So it's uh, Psalm 2. And now we know who wrote Psalm 2. If you were to look at Psalm 2, you don't know. It doesn't say. Many of the Psalms are what they call orphans because uh, the author isn't listed. And Wednesday night we went through a lot of that. Um, David writing many of them, but there were other guys as well. And, uh, so, But now we know from Peter who wrote Psalm 2. Secondly, um, we see the prophecies fulfilled at the beginning of the church age. Also, this prophecy has fulfillment presently in our lives today. If we go to Second Peter uh, verse three, or chapter three, verse three, and then Second Timothy three, one through four, um, once you go to Second Timothy, I'll just simply read First uh, Peter, or I'm sorry, Second Peter three. Behold, I now write to you a second epistle in both which I stir up your pure minds by way of reminder that you may be mindful of the words which are spoken of by the Holy Spirit, or the Holy Prophets, I'm sorry, I had to turn the page, and of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior, knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lusts. So at the beginning of the church, at the beginning, when right in in, the book of Acts, right after they had received the Spirit and people were getting saved, immediately there's rage. They're taking counsel together and they're coming against him. Remember how when Stephan, am going off off uh, script here a little bit, but how Stephan, when he had, had been a, a great witness, and he was a guy that just waited on tables, one of the disciples, but he knew the Lord, and he knew the gospel, and he was witnessing, and these guys eventually took him, dragged him out, and stoned him, and their teeth were gnashing. I mean, that's rage, and again, we've seen that on our TV in, years, in recent years, and it's something that we have to acknowledge that's going on these days. So, in uh, 2 Timothy um, 3, verses 1 through 4. But know this, that in the last days perilous times will come. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents. That one is live and well today. How many kids are... Um, just basically saying to their parents, I'm not what you think I am. I'm going to be what I want to be. And they're going to have surgery if they have to, to make, it, make it true even though it's still not true. Unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. He goes on to talk about it. Some of them even claim to be Christians. Some of them even go to the church that uh, they've been going to and their parents have been going to for, for decades or centuries and having a form of godliness but denying its power. And from such, turn away. Um, fulfillment finally, at the end, Psalm 2, the prophecy will finally be fulfilled. The one that's most fitting considering Jesus will be reigning in the millennium. And uh, he will be reigning from Mount Zion. Mount Zion, if you uh, think back through that area of the world, Jerusalem, Mount Zion, the city of uh, the Jebusites is where it was when David was writing this. Uh, There was already, uh, I shouldn't say that, it's possible that he had already uh, taken the Jebusite city. And it's interesting, if you think about it, uh, the Jebusite city, they, they didn't have any fear because they, the city was up high. The valleys around it, the Kidron Valley, was much lower than it is today. The spires and the mountains and the crags and the rocks were impenetrable. Nobody could come against this Jebusite city. Well, you know, the Lord gave it into David's hands and he, he says, well, let's just go up through the, the water ducks and things like that to get up through and get at them and all that. And then later on to... to uh, you know, destroy Israel when the Romans uh, took Israel. It was their policy, basically, if there's a city that's popular, the, or the city that's uh, the population center of things like Jerusalem was, they raise that city, as in grind it right down to the ground and then below a little bit even and push it into the valleys around. And so what used to be this city that was impenetrable nowadays, what we see on the maps today is where everything was pushed off into the valleys in the Kidron Valley, if you... If you go uh, look at the uh, City of David excavations today, the gates to the city are below the streets, uh, 20, 30 feet. And so all of the tops were pushed off into the sides. It didn't look like it does today. And um, and it's uh, amazing that they're finding pillars to the gates of the city and uh, right in what they call today David's city or the city of David. Um, So finally, if we want to go to Revelation 20... um, And we'll just read where this is fulfilled. But Jesus reigns from Zion. He's been established. The book of Joel, Zephaniah, Zechariah. There's many scriptures that talk about the Lord in the millennium ruling and reigning with a rod of iron. Uh, And here it is in 20, verses 1 through 10. And this is after the tribulation. And... uh, But after these things, he must be released for a little while. It's interesting that uh, video Dwight showed last week, showing the city and how it was surrounded, that was really powerful. Obviously, we're going to see it, and we're going to be in that city ruling and reigning with the Lord, and it shows the nations here. It saw uh, the thrones and them that sat on them, and judgment was committed to them. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus and for the word of the Lord who had not worshipped the beast nor his image, and had not received his mark on their foreheads or on their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. But the rest of the dead did not live again until a thousand years were finished. And this is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection. Over such the second death has no power. But they shall be priests of God and of Christ, and shall reign with him a thousand years. And now when the thousand years had expired, Satan will be released from his prison and go out to deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, together them together to battle, whose number is as the sands of the sea. Look at this. They went up on the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints in the beloved city. And fire came down out of heaven and devoured them, the devil and who deceived him, deceived them, was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are. And they will be tormented day and night, forever and ever. This is the, the final culmination, the final fulfillment, and the most um, complete, um, the, the, the completion of the prophecy in Psalm 2. If we want to go, go back, we can now look at verse 4. And where I was going to spend some time this morning back in Psalm 2. It says, He who sits in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall hold them in derision. See how, uh, you know, they, see how they go to, to war against the Lord and His Messiah. But now look at his response to this. He laughs. And, and it literally is a kind of a thing where he's laughing. It's a scornful thing. Uh, it's a mocking. It's making sport of them. He laughs and jests. You know, don't forget these nations are making war. Okay, this is not something where uh, they're just out there and we're ho- you know, hoping and praying that they get saved and we're going to get into that. But he holds them in derision, it says. This is, he ridicules them. He's mocking them. And then now he speaks to them in verse 5. He says, Then he shall speak to them in his wrath. Uh, uh, and distress them in his deep displeasure. Now, the wrath, uh, in his wrath, that means the word nostril, (laughs) believe it or not. It means nose, means face, but it means angry. So you've got to picture this. This is an angry, angry, wrathful, out of the nose, in your face, wrath of God. You can picture it. You've probably seen it. And... um, you know He distresses them with this. He terrifies them. His deep displeasure is, is burning there. It's heated anger. That's what deep, deep displeasure means, a burning, heated anger. And then what does he say in this anger? He says, I will declare, or I'm sorry, verse 6, yet I have set my king on my holy hill of Zion. Here's that face, angry face, saying exactly that. I have set my king on my holy hill. I will declare the decree. The Lord has said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me. I will give you the nations for your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron. Still looking at that face. And you shall dash them, dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel. First of all, who is this king? that's going to carry out this decree. Uh, Let's get some perspective. I want to see, you know, let's just see how far back these two go, right? The king and his God. And John 3, if you want to go there, uh, verses uh, 25 through 36, to summarize a little bit of that, John the Baptist was making it clear that he's not the Christ. Um, He's just the one sent before Basically, says, uh, you know, he must increase. I must decrease, uh, decrease um, is what John the Baptist says. And then, but looking at verse 25, um, John 3, after these things, Jesus and his disciples came into the land of Judea, and there he remained with them and baptized. And John was also baptizing, and because there was much water, uh, they said, Come. Was I going to skip down to a verse? I guess not. Oh yeah, I was going to skip down. uh, That was the summary and skipping down to verse 31. Uh, He who comes, uh, John's saying, you know, I I must, uh, or he must increase, but I must decrease, verse 30. He who comes from above is from above all, is above all. He who is of the earth is earthly and speaks of the earth. He who comes from heaven is above all. So we're going to see how far back the Father and the Son go. And what has he seen and heard? And what he has seen and heard, that he testifies. And no one receives his testimony, but he who has received his testimony has certified that God is true. For he whom God has sent speaks the words of God, for God does not give the Spirit by measure. And the Father loves the Son, and has given all things into his hands. And that's what we're seeing in Psalm 2. He who believes in the Son has everlasting life, and he who does not believe the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. That face, the nose, that terrifying, burning, heated anger is still upon them. You know, where is he from? He's from above. What does he speak of? What he has seen, what he's heard. Where? Where? Well, he saw it above when he was with the Father from all eternity. Well, who sent them? Well, the Father did. For what? To speak his words. Is he going to hold anything back? Well, it says, you know, there's no measure of the Holy Spirit that he would hold anything back. And what we learn in 35 through 36 is God loves him. He's given all things to him. Believers have everlasting life. And unbelievers, his wrath is stuck on them, you know, it's abiding on them. It's there hanging on them. It's stuck. And it says they shall not see life. So believing on Jesus. And let's go to John 13, uh, verses uh, 1 through 3. Jesus with the Father from all eternity. He's from above. They got their own pla- plan. They got, there, there was a plot. Okay, Jesus knew. Uh, now, before the feast of the Passover... When Jesus knew that his hour had come, that he should depart from the world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And supper being ended, the devil having already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given him all things into his hands, we read that, and that he had come from God and was going to God. These guys go back. But there was a plot, right? Jesus knew that he came from God and was going to go to God. And you know the rest of the passage. He begins to wash the disciples' feet and for an example to them. And Judas heads out to organize the betrayal. And down in verse 31 and 35 of chapter 13. Through 35. So when he had gone out, that's uh, Judas, Jesus said, Now the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself, and glorify him immediately. Little children, I shall be with you a little while longer, and you will see me. And as I said to the Jews, Where I am not going or where I am going, you cannot come. So now I say to you, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, as I have loved you, and that you also love one another. And by this all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So soon Jesus is going to be with the Father, establishing Psalm 2. And the Father and the Son also have a plan. Let's go to John 17. And um, a couple pages to the right. I so love this passage. Grew up being told that the Lord's Prayer was something we were supposed to do. And it was repetitious, albeit a beautiful prayer, albeit exactly how the Lord would have us pray, in that like and in that manner, not necessarily word for word repeating it, because it become very empty, can become vain if it's constantly repeated over and over again, and just out of rote. But the Lord's Prayer, in my opinion, is John chapter 17. And uh, what we see here is that the Father and the Son also have a plan, and they have a plot, and in John 17, we actually get to listen in on that conversation. And so Jesus spoke these words and lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may all also glorify you. And as you have given him all authority over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him, and that this is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I have glorified you on the earth, and I have finished the work which you have given me to do. And now, O Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. And I have manifested your name to the men whom you have given me out of the world. They were yours, you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. And now they have known all the things which you have given me are from you. For I have given them the words which you have given me, and they have received them and known surely that I came forth from you. And they have believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I do not pray for the world, but for those whom you have given me. For they are yours, and all mine are yours, and yours are mine. And I am glorified in them. Now I am no longer in the world, but these are in the world, and I have come to you, Holy Father. Keep through your name those who you have given me, that they may be one as we are one. And while I was with them in the world, I kept them in your name. Those whom you gave me, I have kept, and none of them is lost except the son of perdition, that the scriptures would be fulfilled. But now I come to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. Tears of joy. I have given them your word. The word has hated them because the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Rage. Why do the nations rage? I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. And as you sent me into the world, I also have sent them in the world, and for their sakes I sanctify myself, that they may be sanctified by truth. And I do not pray for these alone, but for all those who will believe in me through their word, and that's me and you, right? I have never seen the Lord physically. I've never heard anything audibly. But in John, First John Chapter 1, these guys saw him glorified. And these are the guys that we believe their testimony. We believe the testimony of, of John, testimony of what he heard and saw, testimony of Peter. And then what happens? The Spirit bears witness in us. So I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all may be one, as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me, and the glory which you gave me, I have given them. That they may be one, just as I, just as, um, um, just as we are one. Verse twenty-three: I and them, you and me, that they may be perfect in one, and that the world may know that you have sent me, and you have loved them as you've loved me. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am. That they may behold my glory which you have given me. For you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, the world has not known you, but I have known you. And these have known you that you sent me. And I have declared to them that your name. and, And I will declare it. And the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I and them. These, this is the plan. This is the plan the Father has. This is what the Lord has come to do. Ephesians uh, 1, 3 through 3-4, and we're, we've got a little time left. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, Just as he chose us in him, when? How far back do we go uh, with these guys? Our Heavenly Father, Almighty God, and His Christ. Blessed be the God. Okay, so having predestined us. I'm skipping everything but the ones I want. Three and four. Just as he chose us in him, when? Before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. And... um, that's such a key part of this. People want to make a lot about the predestination and so forth and so on. You know what? We, we're here now. Truth is, it's about love. And love is not something that a robot is capable to do. And we have choice. Love has everything to do with choice. You know, When, when you love, it's not something that's necessarily a feeling, maybe some at the beginning, that quickly wears off. What continues on? Choosing to love. And so let that choice be. Uh, he chose us in, him, us in him before the foundation of the world. And so uh, verses 10 back in Psalm 2. And we'll begin to wind this up. This is the father and the son's plan. They don't will that anyone perish. But he said to him in his great wrath, in his... Red-faced anger. I'll set my king on, on my holy hill in Zion. And so there's, there's something that needs to be done and something needs to be said. Now therefore, be wise, O kings, getting back to the world and its leaders, be instructed, you judges of the earth. Well, we know what the Supreme Court is. And I like the way David Hawking says it is. Two words, you're not. In other words, Supreme Court, you're not the Supreme Court. God Almighty is the Supreme Court. And um, his, his king, his anointed one. So be instructed, you judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear. Rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son. And that simply means do homage, pay respect, lest he be angry. Lest he be angry. Kiss the son. The wrath of the Lamb. So, kiss the Son, lest He be angry, and you perish in the way when His wrath is kindled but a little bit. Blessed are all those who put their trust in Him. You know, blessed are all those who put their trust in Him. Sitting here today, I trust you came to hear God's Word and that you do trust in Him. Just to finish up here, um, I guess while the worship team comes up, we often sing this, but I'm just going to read it. It's such a good verse and such a good uh, passage. Um, who gets the glory and all this? Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling. Jude 24, 25. Um, and to present you faultless before the presence of his God with exceeding joy. To God our Savior, who alone is wise. Be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen. Amen. Let's stand pray. Thank you, Lord, for your grace and your mercy on us. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for your love for us. Thank you that long before the first steps of the foundation of the world, you had already chosen us in you. And Lord, we don't know who else you've chosen, so send us out to share. Send us out to spread your word so that whoever will, as your word says, would believe and come to you. Please uh, let your name go forth and let your word be strong um, as we go out and complete that which you've sent it to do. And Once again, we just pray that... uh, as we leave here, we'd take the light with us, and that we wouldn't hide it under a bushel, Lord, but that we'd glorify you, and we thank you so much. In Jesus' name, amen. As he chose us in him, when? How far back do we go uh, with these guys? Our Heavenly Father, Almighty God, and his Christ. Blessed be the God. Okay, so having predestined us, I'm skipping everything but the ones I want. Three and four just as he chose us in him when, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. And um, that's such a key part of this. People want to make a lot about the predestination and so forth and so on. You know what? We're here now. Truth is, it's about love. And love is not something that a robot is capable to do. And we have choice. Love has everything to do with choice. You know, when, when you love, it's not something that's necessarily a feeling. Maybe some at the beginning that quickly wears off. What continues on? Choosing to love. And so let that choice be. Uh, he chose us in, him, us in him before the foundation of the world. And so uh, verses 10 back in Psalm 2. And we'll begin to wind this up. This is the father and the son's plan. They don't will let anyone perish. But he said to him, in his great wrath, in his red-faced anger, I'll set my king on on my holy hill in Zion. And so there's, there's something that needs to be done and something needs to be said. Now therefore, be wise, O kings, getting back to the world and its leaders, Be instructed, you judges of the earth. Well, we know what the Supreme Court is. And I like the way David Hawking says it is. Two words. You're not. In other words, Supreme Court. You're not the Supreme Court. God Almighty is the Supreme Court. And um, his, his king, his anointed one. So be instructed, you judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear, rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, and that simply means do homage, pay respect, lest he be angry. Lest he be angry. Kiss the Son, the wrath of the Lamb. So, kiss the Son, lest he be angry, and you perish in the way when his wrath is kindled but a little bit. Blessed are all those who put their trust in him. You know, and Blessed are all those who put their trust in him. Sitting here today, I trust you came to hear God's word and that you do trust in him. Just to finish up here, um, I guess while the worship team comes up, we often sing this, but I'm just going to read it. It's such a good verse and such a good uh, passage. Um, Who gets the glory in all this? Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling. Jude twenty four twenty five, um, And to present you faultless before the presence of his God with exceeding joy to God our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen. Amen. Let's stand pray. Hmm. Thank you, Lord, for your grace and your mercy on us. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for your love for us. Thank you that long before the first steps of the foundation of the world, you had already chosen us in you. And Lord, we don't know who else you've chosen, so send us out to share. Send us out to spread your word so that whoever will, as your word says, would believe and come to you. Please uh, let your name go forth and Let your word be strong um, as we go out and complete that which you've sent it to do. And Once again, we just pray that uh, as we leave here, we'd take the light with us and that we wouldn't hide it under a bushel, Lord, but that we'd glorify you and we thank you so much. In Jesus' name, amen.